Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. All right, welcome back, everybody. Justin Hughes here, and it's episode 12 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. We're going to talk starting pitchers again today. Andrew, how are you doing? Doing good. Ready to finish going through the list here. Yeah, we're going to try to get them all done here this episode. But before we do that, I have a game for us to play, or at least I want to call it a game. I heard this on the Buster Only podcast the other day, and I thought this would be fun to play here on this podcast. And I sent this to you about a half hour ago, so you'd have your answers ready, Andrew. This game has five events, and your job is to pick the order of when these five events will happen in the future, or if they will happen. So, here we go. Number one is the DH in the National League. Number two is Baltimore Orioles make the playoffs. Three is the Miami Marlins make the playoffs. Number four is Barry Bonds inducted into the Hall of Fame. And number five is the 2023 World Series. (laughs) Yeah, this is interesting. When you sent me it at first, I didn't really know where you were going with it, but... uh... Yeah, interesting list here. Yeah, so, Andrew, what do you have as the first thing to happen of these five? I feel fairly comfortable that it's the DH and the NL. That would be my first. Okay. At least you're thinking that comes in the next couple years then. Yeah. All right. What was number two? Then my number two... I don't feel quite as confident, but I think my number two right now would be Bonds in the Hall of Fame. Okay. I think that probably happens in a few years, yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly when, but yeah, a few years. So that would be my second. Okay. Number three? Number three, I've got the 2023 World (laughs) Series. (laughs) Poor Miami and Baltimore. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, which franchise can feel worse or better about themselves? Who do you have making the playoffs first of those two? Uh, You know, it's really, it's like a dead even coin flip. I, (laughs) I would probably take Miami just because I think that, I think the teams are pretty equally bad. And they're both t- bottom 10 farm systems. There's less like nothing to hang your head on at this point. But I think I would take Miami to make it first just because I think that the top of the AL East is a little bit harder to get over the hump than the top of the NL East. I can't even begin to imagine the next time Baltimore is going to finish ahead of one of boston or the yankees so that leaves them as the second wild card in an absolute best case scenario and there you're also competing against the rest of the teams in the american league so yeah i think orioles sorry orioles fans but yeah it's it's gonna be a while a long while okay well sorry baltimore fans andrew is saying that you've got a long wait yeah yeah, I just can't see it. I mean, I guess, you know, when anytime you're projecting that far out, obviously the 2023 World Series is like 
four and a half years away. So you never know. But I definitely feel good about saying it, that it won't happen in the next two to three years. And then beyond that, I mean, I guess it could, but it's too hard for me to bet on that right now. I may be wrong, but we'll see. What's your order? Because I was curious about yep. how somebody I've, else would stack these. I filled this out too, and our number ones were the same. The DH and the NL, that's the one of the five. I definitely felt the most comfortable with putting it number one and by quite a bit. Yeah. I could see that being here by a year from now. I mean, there was talk that they might even have it before this season a couple months ago, but... I could see next year, but I think by 2021, I bet we have it in the National League. And what are your thoughts on that? Being a Cubs fan in the National League, are you in favor or against the DH? Uh, I've always kind of been against it. I know a lot of people are for it. I, I just like the game the way it is now. When I watch games and I watch a lot of baseball, I don't feel like things need to be changed that much. I just don't. I feel like the changes are only going to make it worse for the most part. And I love the game the way it is. If it, if it didn't change at all, I'd be totally fine with it. I love baseball, you know? And I feel like any big-time baseball fan shouldn't want a lot of changes at the moment. Just because it's like, if you already love it, then why mess with it? But, I mean, I know that there's fans out there there's a lot of you know they're they're lose, losing interest with more casual fans and i understand that so it's fine i won't be that upset you know i know it's coming it's not that big of a deal to me really but you know i'm a cardinal fan too and i think i'm on the other side here i would love the dh in the national league i get it i don't i'm with you i don't want many changes in the game but that's one I do view as a positive just because of the fact that I like watching good hitters hit and I don't like watching pitchers hit. And I also don't like in the fifth inning, there's a tight situation and a pitcher's coming up to bat and they choose to take a pitcher out who's pitching well because it's too tight of a situation and they really need to bat in there right now. So for all those reasons, I think I'd rather see it. It's not something that angers me by any means. I, I'm kind of like you. It's not going to upset me if it if it never happens. But I think I would love it to happen. Yeah, see, I like those decisions. I like the fact that they have to make a call on that. Because it just plays into the game to me. There's another part of me that also feels like if you can't play first base, that's pathetic. Like, I just personally feel like that. I First base is, you know, you get these older, heavier set guys that get so out of shape, they move over to first base, and you're telling me they can't even do that now? And they're D. De- I don't know. I don't mind seeing both sides of it, though. Like, I, I don't mind watching AL games. I watch tons of them, you know, and I love those, too. But I kind of like both. So I lean towards preferring that they just keep it the way it is. But I know it's inevitable, like I said. That's interesting. Both of our teams would have a DH already set up with Kyle Schwarber and Jose Martinez. Yeah. And it's interesting because I was hearing you say the, if you can't play first base, then that's pathetic. And I don't disagree with that. I honestly don't think about the standard DH that can't play the field anywhere. I just like seeing the better extra bat in there. 
that can yes. play the field, kind of like the Yankees. But then I thought about the Cubs as you were saying that, and I was thinking, well, Kyle Schwarber, he could probably play first base. The problem is they already have a superstar at first base, so they can't put him there. The Cardinals, though, they have somebody who can't play first base or the outfield and Jose Martinez, who would probably fit perfectly as a DH. So he definitely fits into that role of a pathetic fielder who needs to only be a bat. Yeah, it's fair. It's just a permanent change, though. Like, I don't really think about Schwarber in this instance because, you know, by the time the NL gets the DH, the Cubs might not have Schwarber. You can't be, like, short-sighted on that stuff to where, oh, yeah, it would help the Cubs right now, but, you know, in two or three years, it may help a different team more. Because once they do that, it's a permanent switch. So I don't think that much about it. But I get liking to see the better hitters. I, I do get that. Obviously, pitchers can't hit. So Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there in terms of 0% of the reason I want the DH has to do with Jose Martinez and the current Cardinal situation. I just yeah. like it overall, just to make sure I made that clear. Okay. Oh, wait, I still have to give more of my answers. I was about to go on forward to the pitchers, but I've only given one. Uh, number two, I have the 2023 World Series. So I am saying that nothing else happens before in the next four and a half years. I think Bonds at that point, and I do have Bonds at number three, and I think he's close to that. I'm just picking him to be on the other side. I asked you when we were talking earlier what his percentage was in votes this last year, and it was at 59%. And right before we started recording, I pulled up the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame ballots for the last few years, and he's been at 56, 54% the last couple of years. So he is trickling up. I just don't think he's going to get there in time in the next four years, but it wouldn't shock me if he did make it in there. I'm not sure he's going to get quite over that hump in that time. Yeah, that's fair. Like, like I said, these are, they're close. So it's, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Number four, I picked Baltimore to make the playoffs first over Miami. And again, this one's a coin flip, but this is why I went Baltimore over Miami. Baltimore is definitely in a tougher division. I agree with that completely in terms of the Yankees and Red Sox. But I think the NL East is pretty tough too. My thought process is Miami just came off of a run where they had Jose Fernandez, Giancarlo Stanton, Ozuna. They had a lot of talent in that organization this decade, and they never once made the playoffs. And yeah, they've put in a couple wild cards just in the last couple of years, but they had all those opportunities during that, but still didn't make it. And now they have a team that's completely gutted. And I just don't know if they're ever even going to spend enough to compete. I think everything has to almost be perfect for them to make it. While with Baltimore, while I'm not saying that they're this big spending organization, they at least will put money out there a little more than Miami does, I think. And I haven't looked. Maybe I'm wrong. This is just me looking at this without doing any research. But I feel like Baltimore would actually try to go for it a little more if they saw their window was here. As compared to Miami, who right now they're a business that's just struggling to make it, according to Derek Jeter. I mean, when he took over that organization, his first thing was cut that payroll down to $55 million from 95 Which, if that's your mindset, 
I think it's just going to be really tough to compete anytime soon unless you just fall into everything perfect. I say all that, given my case, it wouldn't shock me at all if, my, if yeah, Miami made it before Baltimore. It's just looking and trying to figure out what you think. Yeah, it's splitting hairs. Who knows? But I thought that was a fun little discussion they had, and I thought it'd be fun for us to bring it over here a little bit. So thanks, yeah. Buster. You ready to talk some pictures now and get into that? Yep, let's do it. Number 41, we have Tyler Glasnow, who's now with the Tampa Bay Rays. He was pitching in Pittsburgh. He was pitching in Pittsburgh the last few years and struggling to make it. He was once a top 10 prospect. I know Rich Wilson from Prospect 361 has said that it's hard for tall guys to repeat deliveries, especially early in their careers. And it seemed like that might have been with the case with Glasnow as his walks have been all over the place. And the first half of last year was no different. He had 30 walks in his first 52 innings pitched. Then he was traded to Tampa in July, and it seemed like right around that same time, things turned around for him. In 59 innings in the second half, he only had 23 walks, which is a much better three and a half walks per nine innings. That's better than anything he's shown in years. While that's still high, it's significantly better and... For a guy with the stuff that Glasnow has, that is close to doable for him to get over some humps here. If he can keep this momentum going, Glasnow has as high of a ceiling as anyone going around here. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, yeah, he has he has a really high ceiling. I feel like there's always someone in the room that's a little bit higher on him than me, but that's not really taking away from him because I, I recognize the ceiling and I get it walks are higher than you would hope. And at least is tough, you know, but yeah, he he's had the pedigree for a few years now and is kind of starting to get to that point where you could definitely see him coming with the breakout. So I have no issues with him here at all. You can't rule out that he goes out and just ha- dominates this year. You can't rule that out. There's still a definitely an incredibly low floor, but he does have the capabilities of being a league winner. Anybody who has a can strike out 11 batters per nine innings, they can keep a lot of guys from get putting the bat on the ball, which it's all about control with him. I really do believe if he can continue building off that, he could go out there and I mean, there's a non-zero chance he goes out and wins a Cy Young this year. I'm not saying I'm predicting it, but... Yeah, I, I don't I see that at all, but... I, I won't rule it out. Well, you say that, Blake Snell, just this last year, I don't think people felt good about him, and it, it was a similar story, and things broke right for him to where I'm not the one of those guys that's jumping to get him. I get it. That's more what I'm saying. Yeah, I get it. I just don't think he... I don't think he's winning the Cy Young at all. That's just my opinion. <laughs> okay. 42 is Kyle Freeland at 161. So we're talking late 11th round, just like Glasnow. He had a fantastic season in Colorado last year, 17 wins and an ERA that was 2.85. All of that looks real good. For me, it's hard to buy into this guy. As compared to when we were talking about German Marquez last podcast, Freeland only has 7.7 strikeouts per nine, and his XFIP 
was 4.22, which is almost a full run and a half worse than what his actual ERA is. That combined with the fact that he's been pitching in Colorado, I don't think there's a bigger regression candidate at pitcher than Freeland this year. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you there. We're at pick 161 here, and I normally would never talk badly of a pick in that range because I do feel like when you're at this point in the rankings, you know, move guys up, move guys down as you wish. I wouldn't take this guy anywhere near here. Not not even close. I, I would have him way down the list. Probably 15, 20 spots. I, I wouldn't have him anywhere close to this. He pitches in cores. His K rate is not exciting. A lot of luck, you know, his FIP and XFIP were much higher than his ERA. And last last year was just best case scenario. I I don't get it at all. I own him in a dynasty league. I'm trying to sell him so bad and it's been kind of tough. But yeah, I'm just totally out. I'm not I'm not paying for him as an SP three. There's no way. Agreed. It's amazing that he's up here, and I guess maybe some people are just looking at the bottom line stats, kind of like you were talking with Nick Pavetta and saying, you know, people are seeing that 480 RA with Pavetta, and they're thinking, nope, don't want that. And maybe that's going on here with Freeland. But, man, I'm sitting here looking down this list, and I'm looking at sleepers I like that are in the 60s and 70s and even all the way down to the 80s, and I'm like, who would I rather have between that guy and Freeland? And I, I mean, I see somebody at 81, and we'll circle back to him, that I would rather have than Freeland. Whatever I said with Marquez, I would rather have Marquez at 24 than Freeland at 42. For sure. Most definitely. Yeah, I would. More I've thought about, you know, more I think about it. I just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not touching Freeland here. There's no chance. You can have him. I don't, I don't want him. 43 is Carlos Martinez going right at the exact same spot. And again, we're using this ADP. This is ADP off of NFBC, which some of these were from January drafts before any of these injuries. And he's not going at 161 now. He isn't pitching. His shoulder's a mess. And personally, I don't think I'm touching him till the end game of a 15-team draft. Yeah, I've said it on Martinez for months now. I just don't want to deal with it i just don't want to deal with it uh i will say in my tgfbi draft he went in round 16 towards the end of round 16 pick 237 that's a lot better than this uh 70 or so picks after and i was starting to think about it when we were in that range i wasn't heartbroken at all to see him go but it was better than this. This is just too high. But I, I know this number isn't exactly accurate either because he's in a free fall because of his shoulder and stuff. I just, just not a fan of him. I personally don't even think I would have been ready to jump on him then at that point. As I'm looking at his high and low position in NFBC and his low is 400. And I would definitely take him by then. But... I don't think I would still be even considering him until the 300s at that point where I'm taking him as an end-game guy with some upside. I mean, really, at this spot even, it's not going to kill you if he does nothing, but there are just other guys I'd rather have at this point. 
So, so what you're saying is you'd take Bueller over him? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would take Bershaw. I might even take Max Scherzer, too. <laughs> yeah. All right. Number 44, Rick Porcello. Going a pick later at the 12th pick of the 11th round. This is a guy, I just don't know what to make of him. His last few years have felt like a yo-yo. And last year was again on the high end. He had 17 wins and a 4-2 ERA. And the underlying stats look like his ERA should have even been better. Good luck trying to guess this guy's line in 2019. Yeah, with uh, with Porcello, he's. Uh, I think he's in about the right spot. I know that... It seems like a lot of people or there's, you know, there's just this perception out there that he sucks. I mean, he kind of gets a bad rap, I feel like. And he's not he's not great or anything, you know. I mean, he had the the one big Cy Young season. Obviously, that was kind of an outlier, but I don't think he's bad. He's durable. He's out there all the time. He's on a good team. You know, like it's it's tough projecting like wins and stuff. You don't like doing that, but on that team, he should get some, especially with the fact of his uh, the innings that you expect him to pile up. So I think he's okay. He's probably not for me. I'm probably not taking him here, but I don't really think it's like a bad spot either because when you go down a little bit further, there's guys with probably more ceiling in certain spots, but also they're riskier too. It's a wider range of outcomes, and I, I think that he'll probably be like at the end of the year, you'll look up and he'll probably finish right in this range somewhere. So, yeah, I don't think it's bad. Yeah, I agree in terms of you look below him and it feels like he's where he should be in this draft. He'll get stats. He will not be an elite ace likely, but I think you're pretty good for getting innings. He's thrown at least 190 innings the last three years in a row and four of the last five years. And even his career low, going back to 2011, is 172 innings. So the guy gets out there and throws the innings. Andrew Heaney is next at 45, 166 overall. So now we're into the 12th round of a 15-team draft. Finally back healthy, Heaney's stat line looked okay, but it looks like he could improve on those numbers in 2019. 180 strikeouts in 180 innings with only 27 walks. That's pretty solid. Yeah, yeah, I like Keeney. I think it's gotten a little trendy with him. I feel like people, uh, there's a lot of people that like him. But, yeah, I've always kind of been a fan. And, yeah, I think there's a little bit more room for growth, potentially. 27, good to see him healthy again and back. I bought into him in one dynasty league when he was, I think I think it was when he was completely hurt already. But, uh yeah, he's obviously jumped up since then. and It's good to see. Yeah, I, th- I think he's pretty much fine here. Looking at his Fangraphs page and reading the paragraph at the top, it does look like he struggles against left right-handed batters over lefties. His FIP against lefties was 1-4-4, but right-handers it was 4-7-4. So that's a bad split there. But, you know, he doesn't have too much pitching experience because of these injuries to where he could get that figured out. Okay, from here on, I'm going to start mentioning this pitchers in groups, and we're going to start off with groups of five. After doing 45, we're at the top three starters, so this is a little further down. 
And at 46, we got Nate Ivaldi with Boston at 170. Rich Hill with the Dodgers at 171. Yusei Kikuchi, the newest Japanese pitcher coming over to with the Seattle Mariners at 176. Dallas Keuchel at 184, who's still a free agent. And Hyunjun Ryu with the Dodgers at 187. Of those five, Andrew, who do you have the highest um, I would probably take my shot on Kikuchi out of these five, but I can kind of see the argument for any of them. I like Eovaldi a little bit too. Um, I, I just think his stuff's nasty and if he stays healthy, I think he'll outdo this spot. Rich Hill. I just, I'm just, I'm done with him. I mean, he's good, but he's been good in like the stints that he pitches, but I just know going in, I'm only getting so many innings. I already know that. With a lot of these guys, you hope you get so many or you can project, and then obviously if they get hurt or something, it falls off. But I already know that the ce- the ceiling of innings with Rich Hill is completely capped. And it's just, I don't know. It's just It's just not for me. I feel like he could fall off and be nothing. So I just, I don't really want to deal with him. Keuchel, I think is mostly cooked and overrated at this point. I, I'm not really a fan of him and Ryu. I've kind of liked, but I see the, uh, the issues with him staying healthy and stuff. I've kind of, I've, I've owned him a lot actually over the past few years. And I kind of know how he is. He, he's fine when he pitches. So I guess there's an argument for him, but I'd probably just out of these guys, take the unknown with Kikuchi Hope it sticks, and, you know, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but I think that's where I'd go here. Kikuchi's interesting. You know, we, the last few Japanese pitchers who've come over have had really strong first halves, and Kikuchi could be the next one to do it. I do worry about him in terms of the fact that he's had a lot of arm injuries over in Japan, and now he's moving over to the States where he's going to be pitching every five days more innings, but... That said, Seattle already is saying that they're going to have him coming out for some one-inning outings there early in the season. I don't really feel great about any of these guys. I think Ivaldi's the one that I feel the best about because I just feel a little more comfortable with him getting out there and throwing the innings. Keuchel has dealt with the arm injuries, and he's a free agent, and stuff is definitely not shown as well the last few years. And I agree with you on Hill's innings, and I'd put right Ryu in the same boat. I, I will say would... real real quick, I just want to say I probably would not take Kikuchi if it would depend some on who I had already taken. As far as like if I wanted to take that risk on Kikuchi, because it's more of an unknown than these other guys, I'll admit that. So if I have a little bit more risk in my early pitchers, I may go with a different guy there, but just I'm just speaking like in a vacuum if, if I had to take one, you know. But obviously when you're to this point, you've taken pitchers before that. So I think it would affect – some of that would affect who I went with out of those guys. And I did ask you which one you'd rank the highest, not which yeah. one. Are, are, you, are you drafting any of these guys? I thought with two Dodgers listed here, this would be a good time to ask Jeremy Gibbs' question that he put on the Facebook page. And he asked which Dodger starts the most games. And 
I know your answer would probably be Bueller with our previous conversation. And I thought I'd ask who starts the second most. Well, I, I'm not going to answer it as far as like with Kershaw, because if Kershaw is healthy, it's going to be Kershaw. It's if he's not, it isn't. So, I mean, whatever happens with that, I'm not going to, I'm not in the business of predicting injuries and stuff. I'm not going to do that. But of the other guys on the team, I would say Ryu because we've seen Maeda in the pen. We've seen Stripling in the pen. We've seen Urias in the pen. And I just, like I said with Rich Hill, I just think it's like a ticking time bomb in some respects. So Ryu is the one guy of all of them besides Bueller and Kershaw that I don't really think he's going to be in the pen. I think he's either going to be starting or on the DL. So I'll go with Ryu. I'm not sure I really even believe the answer I'm about to give, but just for fun's sake, and because I like the guy, you sold me in on him last year, I'm going to say Ross Stripling. (laughs) Let's see somehow with a few injuries, he works his way into that rotation and starts most of the year. Yeah, I like Stripling. I just, yeah, I, I feel like, it's probably just because I've seen it in the past, like with the bullpen stuff. I, I hope you're right because I, uh, I could use them in the league I have them. All right, 51 through 55, we got two Cubs starting off the list. Jose Quintana at 192. So we're talking 13th, 14th round for these guys. 52, John Lester at 194. Josh James, who I has been hurt, but I think he's back throwing at 202. Joey Lucchese with the San Diego Padres at 203, and John Gray at 204. For starters, how do you feel about these two Cubs? Uh, I like Quintana more than Lester. I just feel like there's a lot. Like, Lester's just on a sharper decline, I feel like. It kind of scares me a little bit. I I don't really like Lester anymore, man. He's just, I mean, obviously, obviously I want him to do good, but I just think that there's a lot of decline with him. He's just gone backwards so much. It's, it's kind of scary. Actually, the, the ERA doesn't show it, but everything else does. So I'm kind of out on him unless he just falls way too far. I would definitely take Quintana ahead of him. I believe in him a little bit more. I know it was kind of rough last year, but there's some sense of trust that I have with him, and he isn't just at that age. Lester's just at that age where I'm just kind of like, man, it can just keep going south. Whereas Quintana, you know, he's he's a good bit younger, so I side with him there. And as for the group itself, uh, I think there's intriguing things with the other three, James Lucchese and... Uh, John Gray, I've never been a John Gray guy just because of cores. I do kind of like Lucchese. James, I just I just don't know where he's going to fit into the mix because Houston's so good. It's just his window, unless there's injuries and them not bringing up Whitley, and there's just combinations of things that could keep James not in the rotation, which kind of worries me. But out of this group, I would probably go with Quintana. I kind of like Lucchese, too, though, a little bit. Lester is interesting. I was just now looking at his page and his underlying stats. And you know who 
it looked the most like that we discussed last podcast. Who's that? That would be Madison Bumgarner, a low ERA with a strikeouts per nine in the low sevens, walks around three with an ERA that's about a full run lower than what the FIP and XFIP showed. Kind of interesting seeing that, seeing where Madison Bumgarner's being drafted and where Lester's being drafted. Huh. Yeah, I could almost see a situation where if Lester declines, you know, like if he continues some decline, I could almost see them at some point just faking an injury and just putting him on the DL to get him out of the rotation if it gets that bad. I mean, 443 XFIP last year, he clearly got lucky. And if let's just say hypothetically he were to get it was the flip and he was to get unlucky, like it went completely the other way. I feel like the Cubs are good enough that if it got that ugly, they might just throw him on the DL and insert whoever. I don't know. I, I, I don't feel good about Lester at all, but we'll Luke, see. Lucchese's an interesting one. You mentioned kind of liking him. I owned him a lot of last year, and there were a lot of interesting things about him. For starters, his delivery looks almost exactly like Clayton Kershaw's with the really tall, upright motion with his arms and everything. It, he, he looks like Kershaw on the mound until you actually he, until he lets go of the ball because the stuff isn't near what Kershaw's ever is. But it was interesting watching him last year because it seemed like he was a guy who got through the first two turns of a lineup real easy, and they got him out there real quick. And once it got to about the sixth inning, is it seemed like he was struggling a lot more as he'd get to that third time through the lineup. I'm guessing it's because, like Kershaw, it's a very deceptive delivery that it's hard to pick up on, but the stuff just isn't good enough to get through that lineup the third time. And he's one of the guys I'm most curious about going into this year to see what he looks like this year. Yeah, he, uh, he definitely looking at his splits now for first second and third time through the order it just gets worse like he's way better at the start of the game and just progressively it gets worse so hopefully he can fix some of that I I always feel like though when if you're a decent pitcher like this and I do think he's fine a pitcher and, and you have Petco on your side like that there's just like NL West with you know there's some pitchers parks in there aside from Colorado, pretty much. Arizona, I guess kind of in between. Who knows, like with the humidor thing and all that. But the other three are all pitchers parks, and he gets his home games at Petco. I I do kind of like the spot that he's in the more I've thought about it. I haven't gotten him anywhere, but it's a young pitcher where you could see some upside with him. And I don't really want to go into him, but, man, I really hope that John Gray is not on the Rockies at some point and he's still got this stuff because yeah, it, it could be huge if he ever got out of that team. Yeah, no kidding. I agree. I agree. Anything I ever say about John Gray, it's strictly to do with the fact that he's a Colorado Rockies pitcher. And it hasn't yeah. failed yet, you know. It's terrible. I, I wish he was on a different team. All right, 56 through 60, we got Kevin Gosman at 205. Alex Reyes with the Cardinals at 208. That's an interesting name going into this year. Kenta Maeda at 58. We're at 215 overall. Jake Arrieta with the Phillies at 215. And then Joe Musgrove at 217. Andrew, pick one. Reyes. 
Yeah, I'd take Reyes out of this group. You're shooting for the I, moon. Yeah, I that, and that's what I'm going to do with a lot of these guys because I or a lot of these groups because I feel like when you get to a certain point with pitching, it's almost like a lot of them are the same. And you're just pitching guys with good matchups, you know, you're you're streaming them in and out. These are basically in a 15 team league. These are back end SP4s. So it's kind of just you know, you figure you have a couple closers in there, two to three closers, and then you've got, like, your SP4 on a given roster, especially if it's a back-end one, it's not somebody you're probably locking in every single start, especially if they're not pitching great. So, yeah, I don't know. We, you get to a point down here, and as we go through these, a lot of these, I'm going to be shooting for the moon. I am. Because if I miss, okay, I just pick up the streamer that's, got two good home starts in a pitcher's park, you know, or, and I mean, and that doesn't always work either, but you know, you just kind of take what you can with all this. And I, I would take Reyes for sure. I know that there will be an innings cap. There's questions on what his role is going to be, but I feel like there's questions with Maeda's role too. You know, Arietta, I mean, God, he's just falling off so much. Gosman's okay, I guess, but the other four feel like floor guys, and I'm not saying that they all have high floors, but I'm saying their ceiling is not really that high at this point either. I mean, Gosman maybe, but these guys are all, like you said, players who you're not throwing out there every start, even if they're probably at their highest. Maybe Gosman. I shouldn't say that with him, but a lot of declining skills in Arietta. Maeda's getting up there. Musgrove, he's definitely a floor guy who I like, but it goes back to the whole philosophy thing that we talked about at the beginning of how we're doing pitching. And I said that I'm really liking to grab two aces and just filling it out near the end with guys and upside guys are the guys who I'm trying to grab. And I'll mention a couple more later also to where if they don't work out and you're needing pitching, you can just play the waiver wire and go pick up some two start pitchers each week until you've, Land yourself a couple of them. Grab the hot guys. And if you have big-time aces at the top, you are you can afford to do that. Yeah, the only thing I will say with Reyes specifically this season is you know for certain that there's only so many innings he's going to pitch. You know mm-hmm. that going in. These other four guys could all theoretically pitch 160, 170, up to 200-plus innings. So that is a massive difference. That's, and that's where anybody who says, oh, no, I would never take Reyes out of this group, that's the argument you know, against it. I do feel like if you get too many guys like this, like let's say they throw Reyes in the bullpen for parts of the season at least. Let's just say, you know, like I'm sure he's going to start some, but I could also see him being in the pen some. And it's like if he's in the bullpen and, and he's not the closer – then all of a sudden you have a guy on your team that's not on the DL, so you can't DL him. He's not in the rotation, so he's not giving you innings, and he's not giving you saves. So it's almost like a wasted spot, and you can't drop Alex Reyes. So it's like you have this spot in your roster that is just burned, and every time you're going to make a decision about picking somebody up, 
you think, oh, no, I can't drop Reyes, so I got to drop this guy. And all of a sudden, three months have passed, and he's given you nothing. I could see that happening with Reyes or, or giving you little. You know, it's just you do kind of have to be a little careful as far as that goes. But per inning, obviously, he has the highest ceiling of this group. I mean, that's no secret. Yeah, and to go on your point, they have already said, the St. Louis Cardinals, that he's either starting the year in the minor leagues or in the bullpen. So you already have that problem to start the year unless he gets hurt and he gets on the DL. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like it'd be better if he was on the DL until he was definitively in the rotation or something. You know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's tough because you only have so many bench spots, you know? And if you're talking about a redraft league where you can't throw him into minors or whatever, he's eating up a bench spot. You know, it's okay if you have one of those, but you start having two or three or more, and it just it gets uh, it's hard to hold them all. You can't really do it when you get to a certain point. And, you know, I saw Alex Reyes pitch last year, and I do want to talk about that for a bit. I saw him in Double A Springfield on his rehab start, and I fell in love with him during that start and seeing what he was doing during those rehab starts. I love him long term for what I think he can be. I just don't think he's going to have those innings this year. He was the nastiest pitcher I had ever seen throw in St. Louis or in Springfield. And he was going deep into games with efficient counts. His off-speed pitches that he was throwing, the batters weren't even able to swing. They were so frozen. I I love this guy long-term. I just don't think that he's going to get the innings to be worth it this year. He'll have some stretches if he gets up and is dealing where he could be incredible. But I think it's just going to be a frustrating year to have him because of those times where he's in the pen and possibly in the minor leagues. Yeah. One more thing on Reyes. The one positive for sure is that out of these names, he is the only one that I would say every single time he starts, you're starting him. And these other four, they're guys that you can see a scenario where you sit them in a tough matchup. You aren't sitting Alex Reyes when he's pitching. You're not. All right. Going on to the next 10, I accidentally put Musgrove down twice. So we're just going to move past 61, but that moves everybody up a spot. But instead of dealing with confusion, I'm just going to move on and say Sean Newcomb's at 62 at 219. Ross Stripling is at 224. Tyler Skaggs at 228. Colin McHugh is at 228 also. Jesus Lazardo, another interesting rookie, at 231. Alex Wood at 235. Forrest Whitley at 244. Zach Godley with the Diamondbacks at 245. And Jimmy Nelson, who's working his way back from shoulder inj- uh, that shoulder injury in 2017, he's at 247. There's a lot of interesting guys on this list, Andrew. Which one is your number one target on that group? Man, I, I like a lot of these guys, actually. I Looking at this, I it definitely wouldn't be Wood or Godley. Probably not Nelson either, but I've always liked Newcomb. Obviously, I know he needs to cut the walks and stuff, but I've always kind of been a fan of him. We already mentioned Stripling. When Stripling's starting, you're pretty much going to use him for the most part. It's just a matter of how much he's going to be in the rotation. I like Skaggs. There's health issues there. And obviously, what I was saying with Reyes, you can apply to Lazardo and Whitley. 
I mean, I, I feel like those guys, when they pitch, you're pitching them. It really does just come down to how many innings they get. But, yeah, a lot of these guys I like. Lazardo's interesting in terms of he's had a really good spring. He's competing for a rotation spot going into the spring. And the A's are going to play the Mariners next week overseas. And they're keeping Lazardo back, which is another sign that he might be working his way into a rotation spot to start the year. Which, if that's the case, he's definitely the pick of this group because he is bringing a lot of excitement to that organization. I heard, I saw a tweet from a beat reporter saying that they haven't been this excited about a prospect in a long, long time. He's a left-hander who throws hard, has good secondary pitches. He could be real exciting playing for that, especially because he's pitching in such a good pitcher's park. Whitley, I think, has the highest upside on this list. It's more of a when does he come up, but it's not like Houston has this rotation that is firmly set. I could easily see him being up by middle, late April, but you just don't know with that team. And I think I do like Nelson. I'd love to see him back and healthy. The shoulder thing, like we've talked about before, shoulders are scary. I did take him as an endgame pitcher in my redraft auction, so... I'm definitely cheering for him there. And, yeah, Stripling is definitely one of my guys. Yeah, Whitley, the one thing I will say with Whitley is he's obviously pretty much universally known as the best pitching prospect in the league. And I don't really think that there's too much to be afraid of in the Houston rotation. I mean, Verlander and Cole, and after that, it's McHugh, Miley, Peacock, Josh James. I It'd be one thing if they had like three or four top flight starters where you knew they were locked in and then there was only one opening. But there's there's room there to just, you know, blast the doors down and be their number three starter at some point. And not not too uh, far away from now, I, I feel like. I don't know. I, I don't those guys just don't uh, blow me away. The one thing I will say, because he was in this group, too. McHugh was outright nasty last year. Like all everything like lined up. I mean, all of his numbers that he had pretty much were in line with the peripherals too. I don't really think it was much of a fluke. Crazy K rate, all the exit velocity stuff and everything was all good. So he could be one to watch too. He, he, uh, if he's in the rotation the whole season, He's probably a value for sure here, and I'll admit I probably should have been paying a little more attention to him early in, earlier in the offseason because if you look at what he did last year, it's just crazy. All right, let's move on to 71 through 80 then. We got Steven Matz at 250, Yoli Chassin with the Brewers at 262. I actually just saw that he's their opening day starter for this year. Ronaldo Lopez at 269, Kyle Gibson at 279, Marco Gonzalez at 279, Michael Walker at 76 at 280, Anibal Sanchez with the Washington Nationals at 280, Julio Urias with the Dodgers at 283, Julio Tehran with the Braves at 286 at 79, and Carlos Rodon at 80 at 296. Andrew, I 
thought I'd bring up Anibal Sanchez specifically for you because I've heard you talk about him as a target. So let us know. Let me know why you like him. Uh, yeah, I like I like Anibal. I think he had a really good uh, he had a really good year last year. Most of it lined up with you know what the peripherals said. It was a, maybe a little bit of luck. 283 RA. I mean, I don't anticipate that again, but it's a good team. NL East. I like that. Good K rate, good walk rate. Yeah. I mean, this far down, I, I like him. I think he can be sneaky good in Washington and next to a lot of these names. I don't know. I'm not crazy about, uh, some of them. So yeah, I, I don't mind him here. I, I kind of like your Urias too. But a lot of that with Urias will come down to the role that he has. You know, how much is he going to actually start? I I don't really know. It's it's tough with the Dodgers when you're not one of those guys they're depending on, and I don't think they're quite at the point they're depending on him. So, but I have heard that if Kershaw does start the year on the DL, he may work his way into that major league rotation to start the year, but he may not. Also, it's. It's kind of like Reyes with a big, serious injury that had him out for a while when he was a top prospect before that. Upside's big, but again, it'd be hard to project him to go throw too many innings, given they were saying that about him two years ago before the serious injury. Yeah, totally. Guys like Reynaldo Lopez and Tehran and ah, I just am... I don't really, I don't really like those guys here. So I, I would definitely take Anibal, Urias, or Urias, 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 over those guys. Anybody out there that likes Ronaldo Lopez, look a little more into the peripherals last year. It's just not that good. I mean, he could get better. He's young, but I feel like I've seen some people make positive comments on him, and it's uh, it's pretty ugly actually if you dig into it a little bit. Yep. Marco Gonzalez and Kyle Gibson both had nice breakout years last year. Gibson was one of Walter McMichael. He, he, that was his big call from a year ago that he turned out right on. Walken's another interesting one in terms of pitches well when he's out there. doesn't usually have a high K rate, but still solid. But just a whole bunch of mad guys in here with a couple. I mean, Urias being the big upside and then a whole bunch of guys that I, nobody out there that really gets me overly excited. Just back in rotation pieces. Yeah, yeah. Anibal and uh, Urias for me here, for sure. Yep. So, Andrew, I've given you the list of 81 through 100, and I'm not going to read them all off, take too much time here. Was there anybody on that list that you like taking as an in-game pitcher? Uh, I kind of like Luke Weaver a little bit after pick 300. Um, I it's it's finally like okay now 83rd starter off the board I'm good with it like last year I remember with him and Luis Castillo I just couldn't take it they were going so high and I just remember being totally anti that and now yeah it's like 83rd starter off the board with Weaver he's going to have opportunity I don't mind him at all here I think Peacock will be good when he starts. You just wonder how much that'll be. And going down even a little bit farther, I kind of like Freddie Peralta and Stroman, too. Stroman's even a little higher than that. 
I don't think Strowman's dead. There's he went, but he's gone backwards some. But I still believe in him a little bit. And same with Freddie Peralta. I wish Soraka wasn't hurt because I would definitely be naming him off. But the shoulder stuff, you just kind of have to be wary of. But yeah, those are kind of the names that pop out. Any of these guys though could jump up. I mean, there's a long list of them here, and any but any one that somebody liked, I wouldn't really fault them for it. I just kind of try and shoot for a little bit of upside when I get down here. That's all. I like Corbin Burns. That's another one who he had a tough year in AAA as a starter, but he was also pitching in the PCL, which is a real tough place for pitchers. Came up and had a really nice second half pitching out of the pen, and he's competing for a rotation spot. And if he was to get that, I think I'd be, feel pretty good about getting him. I took him late in my auction league. And outside of that, Stroman's interesting because he has had a really nice spring. And I know you don't want to take too much into spring numbers, but with how bad of a disaster last year was, it's good to see him pitching well this year. And yeah, there's other guys in here that are interesting. Tuki Toussaint had a really nice showing in the majors, but I do want to warn anybody that he had 20 walks and 32 innings, if I recall correctly. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's something like that. And Mike Fires also had an incredible run down the stretch with Oakland. And that's another guy who looked like he was incredibly lucky. So if you're thinking about taking him, I definitely would want to warn you to go look at his underlying stats before investing. And I did take him in a draft and hold league two months ago, but I'll also admit that he fell really far into the reserve rounds when she was a 50 round draft. And I took him real late to where I was like, okay, at this point he's fallen far enough where I'll take him just in case. Uh, one thing I, I just want to touch on here real quick with Tukey is I have seen people lose their minds for this guy, whether it be, Mostly in Dynasty, I guess, but a little bit in Redraft, too. And, yeah, like you mentioned, the walks. This guy, I I feel like it's – I would sell him right now. I just don't – there's so many walks there. And I feel like with the, the Brave, like with how many guys the Braves have, because they have tons of arms coming up, already up, you know, all through the system – I don't know. I think he's going to wind up in the bullpen. And could he be a really good closer? Yes. But for what he's worth right now, he pretty much would have to be that if he got moved to the bullpen to pay off. I just feel like he's overhyped right now. I would I would be out on him for sure. I actually sold him in one that I had him. Yeah, just... I'm just not feeling it with Tukey based on the current price. I was when he wasn't wasn't costing that much, but yeah, I don't know, man. I, I've seen him go, and I'm like way too high with this guy. I just, I'm just not feeling it. So, and finally, the last group we have is 101 to 130, and that's as far down as I went listing him off. Andrew, there's a bunch of interesting names here as end game guys, or I shouldn't say a bunch, but there's a couple that I find interesting. Matt Stram with the Padres at 101 or 102. He's a guy who is competing for a rotation spot, had a really nice year pitching out of the pen last year for them to where if he was to actually get a rotation spot, he'd be interesting. There's another Padre competing for a rotation spot that I'll let you talk about because I know you'll want to. 
Aaron Sanchez is another guy who's having a really good spring after having a rough last couple years. And then Brent Honeywell is also a big name way down here. I don't think personally I'm drafting him in a redraft league because I don't think he'll be up till July or August. But that's a name I would recommend watching if he's still out there in June or July. And he's once he's getting back on the mound and pitching in minor league games, I'd be looking to grab him around then. But Andrew, I want I saved the number one oh nine specifically for you. Why don't you talk about that guy? Yeah, you know me too well. I, he was the one I was definitely going to mention. It's Chris Paddock. I he God, I would have him right now way higher than this. I, I would have him up by close to Whitley and Lazardo right now. This guy, his numbers are ridiculous in the minors. I know he's been hurt, but he has the Petco edge and all of that. And I, I just feel like w- once he's up, which is kind of unpredictable, it could be early. He could be up. Like to me, if you're sitting there putting him against Whitley and Lazardo, even if you don't think he's quite the pitching prospect that they are, which he maybe isn't, but I don't think he's real far off. But then you add in the fact that when these guys are going to come up is unpredictable and that he is in the, he's the one in the NL pitching in Petco. Good God. I mean, yeah, I'd have him way higher than this. It's not even like it's laughable that he's in this group. He's dominant. I mean, he has the potential to be a total stud. I've got a prediction coming for him. I'll save for later, but yeah, I just, I just think that, the ceiling here is not matched by pretty much anyone once you get probably past Whitley and Lazardo, maybe one or two other guys. Yeah, in 90 innings last year in high A and double A ball, he had 120 strikeouts and eight walks. Yeah. That's just stupid numbers. He's got a nasty changeup. I think that's the pitch I've heard is just incredible and it's going to be fun to see him get up to the bigs this year because last year was quite the breakout for him after coming back from, I think it was T- Tommy John surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was Tommy John. I believe he's leading spring training in, uh, in strikeouts right now. I know it's short samples and all that. I get all that. But when you're in a spot like Paddock where you're competing for – potentially a spot in the majors or you know it's like a position battle type thing these small samples do matter whether you want to take any of that and put it towards what's actually going to take place during the season is one thing but if you're in a battle to get onto the roster or you're trying to impress somebody anything you do in these short samples does matter and yeah i'm pretty sure that i read that he is uh the spring training leader in K's. And as of this moment on roster resource, he's penciled in as their number two starter. Lucchese, Paddock, Strom, Lauer, and Brian Mitchell. And that, the other thing is, he is their most talented pitcher. He's more talented than Lucchese. And Lucchese's their, I don't, I don't know who they officially have pitching opening day. I, I don't know if it's Lucchese, but he's pretty much their best pitcher at the moment. That's what I was going to say is they don't have him ruled out for being in the rotation on opening day. Now, he only threw 90 innings last year, and that could be scary for putting him in opening day and seeing how much you can get out of him. But 
you just don't know with the Padres. They could be a team. They're likely a team that will struggle this year and not be there right there in the playoff race. And I don't know if it would be good for him if they were in the playoff race and decided to keep him in there for well into September. But he's just going to be an interesting guy to watch. I think it's one of those guys that whatever innings he gives you, I think they're going to be awesome. I don't see, you know, okay, he threw 90 innings last year. Let's say he throws 140. I mean, is that reasonable? I think those 140 or or 130, let's say 130 to 140, somewhere in there. I think those innings are dominant innings, dominant, or at least potentially dominant. And that's huge in this spot. I mean, he's not going in this spot. It's... It's like I said, it's, it's funny because he's, he's, shoot, he's going, shooting up the charts. There's people in every league that are buying him way higher than this now. But, yeah, I just – it's dominant innings when he pitches. I, I'm confident in that. I really am. There's no – it may not ultimately happen, I guess, and I could be wrong, but there's nothing based on what he's done that will lead you to believe it won't be that way. I agree. I think he yeah, will be lightning the moment he's up. Yeah, he could be his total stud, I feel I feel like. What about Wade Miley signing with the Astros? That one just felt so weird. And if it wasn't for the fact that they had just signed Charlie Morton two years ago and watched him dominate, I, I can't help but wonder if they saw something last year out of Miley because he did have an impressive two-and-a-half ERA with five wins and 16 starts, but the underlying stats were not good at all in terms of his strikeouts per nine, his... XFIP was up over four. Do you have any interest in him knowing that the Astros signed him? Are you willing to even take a flyer on him or he's going to have to be out there and proving it on the mound before you're even considering him and like as a waiver wire ad? Yeah, not really. I, I will say that the way that the Astros do it, it wouldn't even shock me if he was somehow magically good. I just, it's kind of hard to buy into before you see it a little bit, but it's late enough now where if you have any vibe on it, just go with it because you can't really mess up in this spot. One other guy I like that's way down here is Domingo Herman. I think he has a lot of upside if he just gets into the rotation, but you know, it's just, we're just talking flyers. I mean, I know some people like Merrill Kelly too. So saying Herman, I'll actually go to Christopher James question, which is who's the better Yankee flyer between Herman and Jonathan Loisica. Are you taking the Herman over Loisica? For this year, I yeah, I think I would take Herman. Yeah. Going forward, I don't know. It's it's close. I like Loisica too, but yeah, I don't know. I I just have a vibe with Herman that if he's out there in the rotation, that he's gonna be good. I feel fairly good about that, but it's one of those things where on this team, he, he's not going to be able to have too many slip slip ups, you know, because Yankees are obviously a really good team and they'll just find a way to use somebody else if he's not performing. But yeah, I think that if he gets the opportunity, he could really break out. And at this point, like I said, it's, it's totally free. I've actually, he's gone, he's been a target of mine in a couple draft and holds like kind of later. And he's gone like a little earlier than I was going to take him in, in both of them. And I was both times I was like, God, why didn't I just do it? You know, I was just, I was kind of irritated with myself, but 
But yeah, down here, I, I feel like it's no risk. There's no such thing as a bad pick down here if you're taking a guy with any sort of upside. It's not a bad pick because you're not paying anything for him. The other thing is, too, is with a lot of these names, like I said before, take the shot on the upside. If it misses, you can pick up one of the guys off of this list that's pitching good because some of these guys are just going to be on your waiver wire, you know. Some of these guys are going to go undrafted. Yeah. Is Lucas Giolito, is he cooked? No, I wouldn't give up on him quite yet. I know he was awful last year, like arguably the worst pitcher in the league. (laughs) But I wouldn't quite give up on him yet, no. If he has another year to year and a half where he's just horrible like that again, then maybe. But he's still young enough that I, I just don't put it past guys like that to figure it out. And all of a sudden, they're relevant again. It would not surprise me. But, yeah, he's so far down here. It's I don't think that it's a bad guy to pay nothing for if you're in a situation, like in a dynasty league or something, where you're kind of rebuilding and you're a year or two away. I don't think it's bad to try and get Giolito for basically free. You never know, you know? And what's it costing you to try to do it? I do have him in Roto Masters too, and his value is pretty much nothing. And I'm about, I'm hoping to be about a year or two away from starting to make noise. And yeah, I, I don't mind rostering him just in case it ever turns around, but I'm not optimistic. That fastball sitting at 90 or 91 is just, it's tough to get by when you're, when you're throwing a fastball at that, at that speed. Yeah. No, yeah, for sure. I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying he's going to break out or anything. No. It's just it's just, um, it's just one of those things. It, it wouldn't completely blow me away if he bounced back up in in like, you know, say a year or two. No. I, and you and I have talked about Danny Duffy, and we both kind of feel the same way about that. Him still. It's, I'm not quite ready to give up on him, and I like him as a late-round flyer just in case. And, oh, who was the other one I saw? Sabathia? I, th- I know that's another one you and I both like for a guy who is not going to get out there and throw 30 starts, but he's all right for taking him as an in-game pitcher whenever he's on the mound. He pitches for a good team, and the guy doesn't have the stuff or anything near what he used to have, but the guy still knows how to pitch. Yeah, I even feel like Samarja may be a little undervalued too, because mm-hmm. he's so far down here. It's just like whatever, you know, but we'll see. Some of these guys won't bounce back. Some will. So that's kind of the thing is like if you just take the up shot on shots on upside with these guys and then pick up the they're kind of the guys that you, you may drop if they don't work out and pick up uh, whoever's on the wire that has a good matchup. The one thing I will say, and this has kind of always been a tough part of it for me in a redraft league, is when I have too many guys that I'm that I love their upside and I want to see what they can do, but I don't really want to use them right this minute or I can't use them right this minute, you know, like Reyes or like Urias or like uh, Paddock. If you draft Paddock and he's like not in the majors right away, if you have too many of those, 
you get in a spot where you have to decide on which one to drop. And it starts, at least for me, it's really tough. And it's almost like the best way to avoid those situations is just to not take too many of them at the draft table. Because if you take too many of them, you're not going to want to drop any of them. And it's almost like you know you have to do it when it's April 15th or 20th and there's a guy on waivers that's off to a hot start and needs to be picked up, I would just recommend not having too many of those guys on your seven-man bench. If it's a draft and hold, it's a little bit different. But if it's a seven-man bench, how many of those – you have to have a few spots where you can cycle guys in and out. And if all of them are just dead spots on guys that you're hoping are good in July – you know, it doesn't leave you much wiggle room and it's, it's hard. It's that part of it is really hard. I know it's been hard for me in the past. That was the question I was going to ask you in terms of how many bench slots do you feel comfortable with going in out of a draft and going into a season with them being minor leaguers who you don't know when they're going to be up? Uh, I mean, maybe two to three, but it's pushing it. It depends on who they are, where I got them in the draft. There's a lot of different things, you know. It depends on the player. It depends on who I'm putting in for them while they're not there. Are they an obvious upgrade to my lineup once they do get there? Stuff when like that. Up. Yeah, right, right. Goes back it, to Honeywell. If he wasn't coming off TJ, like let's say this is a year ago and Honeywell wasn't coming off Tommy John – I'd be drafting him because I think he'd probably there's a good chance he'd be up in May or June. But whenever you're not thinking they may not be up till June or after, and you're pretty confident in that going in, it's a lot harder to roster a guy whenever half of the the year they're going to be a dead spot in your team. Yeah, I had somebody last night show me a 12-team redraft. It was an NFBC with an overall and they got Vlad and Eloy. And, you know, for that, in a 12-team league, I think it's worth using those guys at, uh, as bench spots. Yep. You know, even, even if it is, because it's two guys, obviously, but it's two prime guys as opposed to, you know, guys kind of on the fence. I mean, you know that when those guys are up, you're going to use them. So... There's no debate there. So I didn't mind it there in a 12-team league. But in a deeper league or something like that, where and if it wasn't those two specifically guys down, you know, further down, I'm just saying I, I wouldn't hoard too many of them. They're always tempting to take because you think upside, but you can't you, – you got to have room to pick guys up because there's going to be guys the first week of the season – that nobody really drafted that are going to be worth picking up. It may be hard to see now, but it will happen. So just something to remember. Yeah, I think I'm with you on the, I like two. I think I have three in one league and I don't feel comfortable about it. Even looking at my roster, I'm like, man, I don't have enough wiggle room here because I don't think it, I, one of them is Eloy, but the other two are guys that I don't know when I, I, I think one of them is Kyle Tucker and, that's tough because he may never get regular bats all year, and I don't remember who the third one is right off, but I didn't feel comfortable about it. I think I have one too many there. It also it also kind of depends if you have DL 
and then how many DL you have. Like I know NFBC leagues, there's no DL. So you're, you're even in a tighter spot, you know. There's different uh, league settings that will allow you to maybe do things depending on what the league settings are. You just have to know that and keep all of it in mind. Well, I've mentioned all the pitchers I want to mention. Is there anybody further down, maybe a rookie that we haven't talked about that could come up, that anybody last pitchers you want to throw in there before we finish pitchers? No, I don't think so. I, I think that's pretty much it. I think we covered it. Yeah, pretty good detail. We made three podcasts out of it. That's a lot of pitcher talk right there, especially I think the first two were both over an hour long. Yeah, there's um, – I don't know if I saw down this list, but maybe, maybe just keep an eye on uh, – Taiwan Walker and Denelson Lamette. I know they're coming back from TJ at some point this season. And whatever you think about them in a 15 team league, when they're on the verge of being in the rotation, they will be guys that are picked up. So if you can put them on your DL or whatever rules you have, I would consider doing that. That's the only ones off the top of my head of the guys that we didn't. Uh, that weren't listed on here. I know we didn't read them all off, but. Oh, that, those are good. I don't think I saw Taiwan's name. I don't think he was even on the top 130. That's a real good name. Well, that wraps a bow on starting pitchers, which means we just have one podcast left because, damn it, we are not having two podcasts about relief pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Do we even have to have one? <laughs> I think we should. We did every no. other position, but yeah, we may no. not make as much time of it. Who knows? As I make the notes on it, I may even throw in some news talk because I don't know how long we'll really want to go into them. Yeah, I'm just kidding, mostly. I mean, it. they're still interesting to talk about. It's just they can be maddening, that's for sure. That is true. There's not a more maddening position in fantasy baseball, for sure. All right, well, we're going to get out of here now in a moment. Andrew, is there anything interesting you want to bring up about anything you've seen in spring training the last week or two that you want to bring up or before we get out of here? Nope, just uh, crossing my fingers and watching every update I can get on Hampson and McMahon praying, Ooh. praying. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I feel like I – I mean, I – been checking box scores like crazy watching games here and there where i can but the one thing that i've been paying the most attention to i feel like every day i check hampson and mcmahon every day and i'm just like what is going on who's winning this job because i have way too much invested in it so uh, i feel like everything else is just going to play itself out you know like any situation that i'm invested in it's like i know i know how it's going but that's one that I don't. I'm still not confident. I don't know who's won the job, and I'm probably going to sweat a little bit till the end. But I still feel pretty good about it. Hampson's playing awesome. And McMahon is playing good, too, though. So that's what's making it interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at those two every day also. I am also seem to always be trying to find the Twins and Marlins games just to see how Buxton and Brinson are doing. Even though that shouldn't matter, I still am curious. 
it's been an interesting spring. I'll say that it's been, there's a lot of fun young players who I just don't know exactly which direction they're going in terms of either who's playing or guys who have struggled to where they're showing a little bit of life here, but it's also spring training. It's been a fun spring so far, but we just have two more weeks and we're going to be watching real games. And that's a lot more exciting. Yeah. Way more. Um, yeah. I shouldn't actually, it's not even going to be two more weeks. One week we get actual real games, but two weeks, everybody plays. Yep. Two weeks from today. Yeah. Andrew, I know you're off on Thursdays. Are you starting to make plans for opening day two weeks from now? Do you have anything you know you're going to be doing besides watching baseball, of course? No, yeah, I think I'm just going to pretty much just watch baseball all day. I'll have it on. I mean, I think I'm going to have a buddy come over and uh, maybe a couple. And, yeah, I'll just I'll have it on from start to finish probably. I noticed there's only one game in the evening, I think, which I thought was kind Ooh. of weird. I thought that was kind of odd. I didn't uh, know that yet. Yeah, there's like all the games are, well, speaking on central time, because that's what we're on. You're on central time too, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's at noon and three, pretty much. They're scattered a little in between there, like one and two o'clock. But then there's a lot at three, and then there's one game at like six, and that's it. There's nothing late. So it's kind of different, but. But yeah, I'll, I'll have it on the, the whole day. That may be a good thing for me because my wife usually gets home with our daughter right around 6 o'clock, and that means I could have watched almost all the games, even though that you know it's better spread out because you can actually see more. But that could be a good thing for me. Now, I haven't told you this yet, but my boss with my job told me that he is coming to town that week, and not only him, but his, his boss – so my boss and my boss's boss are both going to be in town that week, and they're coming in on Monday afternoon. I know they're going to be with us at least Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm guessing, and I'm pretty sure they're leaving Wednesday night, and I'm hoping and praying I'm right about that. I, I enjoy them. I like my boss and my boss's boss, but I was already planning on taking Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off that week for different things, and now... Tuesday and Wednesday are out the door because I just can't if I can't take off for things whenever they're coming into town unless it's something that's real important. I mean, they'd understand if it was real important, but for wanting to watch baseball all day, I'm not sure how they'd feel about that whenever it's my boss and boss's boss. So yeah. I'm praying to God they go home Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I'm noticing I'm looking at the matchups. At 12.05, DeGrom and Scherzer face. Mm-hmm. And then at 3, Verlander and Snell. So, Man. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. A, a lot of these still say uh, TBD, like they haven't announced you know, the opening day starters yet, but those two are obviously must-see TV there. So, Well, the Cardinals-Brewers game is going to be must-see TV because it's Miles Mikolas and Jolie Chassin. <laughs> yeah, the uh, White Sox Royals is uh, TBD against Brad Keller. So <laughs> that's going to be uh, that'll be rough. But yeah, DFS, you'll definitely know which guy is the start. I, I don't remember who, which team. I, oh, I do. Uh, the Orioles are facing the Yankees, and I think that one's Alex Cobb versus the yeah. Yankees. And 
Cobb, yep. Cobb and Tanaka, yeah. Yeah, start your Yankees in DFS. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll be, regardless of what the matchups are, it'll be awesome day. Just cool to see a few of these that are big-time matchups. So, Yep, two more weeks. All right, let's get out of here. Everybody take care. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. And once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year. 